series on uh, one of our core values as a church, that is uh, mission. We're going to be doing this once a quarter, focusing on one of the the key values that we have as a church community. Uh, It's good to get to the the bottom of of, of why we do what we do. We need to keep these things in our vision all the time. Uh, They're going to come out in lots of ways, but uh, it's good to distill what's in the Bible about them and see how we uh, live these things out in our lives. So that's what we're doing for the the next three, three weeks. We're thinking about mission about reaching out beyond ourselves, out into the wider world, following God's heart for others to know him. We know that Jesus told us to go. Jesus told his disciples before he left that he said, go, go into the whole world, make disciples of all the nations, go preach the gospel to every creature uh, or ever to the whole of creation uh, in Mark's gospel. And uh, we're thinking today about how that's going to work out in our locality. Next week, we'll think about our wider networks. Louise will be uh, taking us through that. And then the week after that, Alison will still be here. Uh, she's going to be talking about the wider world. Because this, this kind of outward movement is not just uh, to do with our locality. It's to do with the people we know, where we live uh, and work if we don't live and work in this community uh, and into the wider world as well. I'm doing it this week. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be here next week, Martin. It's not that I don't want to put money in the bucket. I'll to make sure you've got some. <laughs> um, it's just that uh, uh, we're over in, back in Warwick uh, where I'm uh, speaking in our old church. That's next Sunday. So going into our locality. Now, before we, we get into this, let me just uh, ask a question that comes uh, behind it. I don't know whether any of you were fans. Uh, I think it was back in the 90s. I don't know. I'm losing uh, t- time. There was a, gr- a, pardon me, a great sketch show series called Goodness Gracious Me. Do you remember that? It was made by some Asians. It was reflection on Asian life in Britain and how the Asian community are perceived in Britain. Very, very funny. Lots of amazing good stuff. Do you remember there was a really memorable sketch of where uh, a guy's going to do door-to-door work, you know, knocking on people's doors. And he comes to the door and he knocks on the door and the person open, opens the door and the, uh, and the guy outside says, hello, are you interested in becoming a Hindu? And the person on the other side says, yes, I am actually. And he says, well, you can't. I'm sorry. And, ra- and runs away. <laughs> uh, the point they're making is that Hinduism doesn't do kind of conversion of other people. And, you know, sometimes don't we wish that Christianity was like that, you know? Why, sometimes we maybe think, why can't we just, you know, keep our heads down, live our lives quietly, you know, say, you know, if someone wants to become a Christian, well, they can't, you know, because it's for us, as it were. Why do we have to be thinking beyond? Why do we have all this kind of outward focus all of the time? Why do we have to do that? Where does it come from? Well, here's uh, where we can start. God's vision, firstly, is about more than blessing just me and just you. We look at Psalm 67. Have a look at Psalm 67. I know I've been there before here in Portswood, but Psalm 67 kind of sums up God's whole purpose, particularly as celebrated in the Old Testament, and and we inherit this uh, in Jesus. Uh, Psalm 67, you'll see it here. I'm just going to refer briefly to it. You can even listen to it. If you want to, it's on page 581. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all peoples. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. 
May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God our God will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. God's people at worship in the Old Testament, celebrating how they're in relationship with him. So they quote there, May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face shine upon us. That's the great blessing that they were given. It says in Numbers uh, chapter 6 when it was given, this was how God put his name on his people. It was a kind of shorthand for saying, we we just love to be God's people, we love to be blessed by him, it's great to be in relationship with him. But in the psalm, in their worship, they also embrace the reason why they've got God like that, why God's got them like that, why they're in relationship with God at all in the first place, second place, or third place, so that the nations will know, so that God's ways may be known throughout the whole earth. That's God's heart, to be, uh, bring people into relationship with him who will then bless everyone else. That's the point. It comes from Genesis 12 originally, as you will know, when Abraham was called. Remember, Abraham's called by God. God says, I will bless you, and through you I will make you a blessing. The New Testament tells us we've inherited the promise to Abraham. We've got that as well. God's intention is to bless the world through his people. So if I've been blessed by God, if I know God, if God has been gracious to me and blessed me, if God has made his face to shine upon me, if I know God because of Jesus, then it's his intention that it's not just about him blessing me, it's about beyond me. That's the the big idea. Now Jesus comes into the world and Jesus tells us lots of things and if we turn to uh, Jesus' teaching when he begins his ministry, go over to Matthew chapter 5 page 968, some of the most famous words of Jesus that we know. And I want us to think about these for a minute or two. God's vision, blessing more than me. God's vision, blessed by God to be a blessing to the nations. Then Jesus comes and teaches Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This first first piece of teaching in Matthew's Gospel, really, the the most well-known piece of teaching from Jesus at all. He talks about his disciples, about what it means to be blessed by God. What does it mean to be blessed by God? What does it look like when we live under the kingship and the rulership, the the governance of God? What is that going to be like in our lives? It's going to be very different. It's going to be different to the world around and it's going to provoke a reaction. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people persecute you and insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, this way of living is not just for private use, is it? That's the point. You see, you live this out, we live this out in a world that is very different to all of those values of Jesus, don't we? Very, very different. Being a merciful person, being a peacemaker, being someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, all of that only makes sense if we're living that, if we're being that in a wider world. It's not for private use. It's not just a private thing. It's for the real world. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's why he tells his disciples that they are to be a prophetic community. They're living out the values of Jesus in a world that's very different. He says, just like the prophets in the Old Testament brought God's word into their world, so the way you live, he says, I want you to be bringing God's truth into your world. It's very, very different. So disciples living out the life and the values of Jesus are blessed by God. And this, says Jesus, is what you are. Blessed are you. Then he goes on a bit more, as we shall see in verse 13, to say more about what the disciples are. What we are as disciples. What his purpose is for us to be. Verse 13, let's read it. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. Salt is used for what? Preserving. For flavouring. But the point is it has to be mixed in, doesn't it? It has to be in contact with the thing that it's preserving or flavouring. It's no good if I want my potatoes salty if the salt is, you know, still in the larder, is it? Salt is also actually a sign of faithfulness was used in covenants. There's an Old Testament idea about a covenant of salt. And apparently in Arab cultures, there's a word in Arabic about being faithful or having an agreement, which has the the same idea of sharing the salt. Because in in ancient times, salt was kind of permanent. You couldn't break it down. You know, you couldn't burn it. You couldn't kind of uh, dissolve it. You can dissolve it, but as soon as the water evaporates off, there it is again at the bottom. Do you see what I mean? It was a kind of indestructible, faithful, solid, stable material. Salt was. So it could be, Jesus could also be saying that that God's uh, people, uh, disciples, as God's covenant community, faithfully connected to him, living for him, always there for the long haul. But the point is, salt is for others. It's to be mixed in, and says Jesus, it needs to remain distinctive. But Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. And again, here the idea is that the light has to shine. He says, what's the point of having a lamp, especially, you know, one of the, in, if you go to a country where there's no electricity, which of course there wasn't in Jesus' day, it's quite dark at night, isn't it? If some of you have lived in countries where like that, or we've been in rural parts of, uh, of, of some Western countries, 
when it's dark, it's really, really dark, you know. And a little oil lamp is great in the house. It gives enough light just to, you know, stop you from doing yourself damage. What you don't do is put it under a bowl, a, 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 a corn bowl. You can't see anything. It has to shine. And I love this picture of a city set on a hill. Again, in those days, Jerusalem would be able to be seen for miles away. You know, sometimes it's amazing how far light does travel. You're on a plane, you know, it's amazing at night what you can see on the, you know, see the lights on the ground and so on. Jesus is saying, here's like a community of lights, lots of little lights together in a kind of bunch shining out across for people to see. What is the light that people see? Jesus says, well, this is it, it's your good deeds. And what's the result of that? They praise your Father in heaven. Now, two things, I call me uh, simple, but it seems to me that two things follow from this. First of all, there need to be some good deeds for people to see. And again, second of all, people need to know about this Father that they have in heaven. And if they don't know, how can they praise him? So that's a bit about why we're doing it, but how? Let's think about lighting our locality. Thinking a bit more about our own situation here. Portsmouth Church has a building in this particular locality. We've been meeting here as a fellowship, not all of us, (laughs) very few of us, I think actually, in fact none of us now, but for 84 years there's been a community of God's people in this locality meeting in this building. And our presence here, oh sorry, I I need to go back. The original intention, the reason this building was built 84 years ago was so that people in what was then the new, the newly developing uh, suburb of Portswood could be reached by a Christian witness, Christian testimony. That was the original idea, that's why it was built. And our presence here and this building is just simply a way that enables us to do good works here. And as a church community, we're burdened for this particular locality. And we want to reach out to the people here. And there's a core of people in the church who sense a call and a burden and a responsibility to reach out into this locality where the building is situated. And as we do that, we do that with a, a, what I'm calling a, a Jesus perspective on this need. If you just turn a few pages over into Matthew chapter 9, what is a Jesus perspective on need? Well, here, is, here it is. Verse 35, this is how Jesus was in, uh, as he went around the towns and the villages where he was in Galilee. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, verse 35, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Now we could say a lot about that, but I just want to say one thing really, and that is see how Jesus sees things, that's all. How does Jesus see things? He sees need, but he sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd, and he responds with compassion. 
And a number of people, as part of our fellowship, feel this way, as Jesus felt, see things the way Jesus did for this particular community. Now, let me just say this. It's not everyone, and it's not in, every, in the same way. Okay? Because it's not all that we do. What we do in the locality is not all that we do. This church is not only about being in this locality. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but I haven't got quite the vision for that. You know, I live in Bitten or I live... You don't feel bad about that. That's okay. We're different. But one of the things we do as a church community is to be a witness in this particular area. Lou will be talking next week about how we want to be a witness in the place, places in our neighbourhoods, in our places of work, and in our social networks, in our family networks. What I'm saying is that it's an important part of our life together. And there's a load of opportunities. A lot can be done. A lot is going on. I need to really rush here. Just give you, let me just give you a review. Now, I might miss out some things. I'm thinking of stuff that is kind of done out of this building, or through, not including the Chinese church. They do a whole lot of other stuff. But, but uh, out of this building, as a fellowship, things that we're involved in very quickly. What goes on in the average week? Well, there's toddlers group. Uh, toddlers and carers, loads about, I don't know how many people are in this building then, about 50 toddlers, 60 toddlers, 70, higher? Double that, okay, double that in total. Okay, that's on Tuesdays, that's toddlers. Kids club down in Beavers Town on Tuesday afternoon, that's again about what, 20, 15, 20, so, so many kids are down there, not a large group but a significant one. There's the Beavers Cluster, the Beavers Cluster, the Beavers Cell Group are doing things and we've been working with uh, Above Bar Church on the Well Community Project, ask Rachel about that if you want to know more about that later. There's the Open Door Community Cafe on Thursdays from half past ten. Uh, many of you will know about these things. There's the midday service on Thursday. Uh, people are coming to the midday service who don't come here to su- uh, church on, on Sunday. There's the lunch that follows it. There's the English classes and the crash that goes with it. About, sometimes there are 30 ladies up there at the back learning English and getting to know uh, the, the teachers up there. Uh, and then there's the breakfast club once a month where about between f- uh, 40 and 60 people most months have breakfast. People uh, from the streets or people who are not in permanent accommodation. Uh, then there's, uh, what else? There's fun days we do. There's uh, healing on the streets where some of us from the ports were involved with some from High, Highfield working, praying for people on the streets. Uh, there's um, what students do here late night. I hope maybe some of our students who worship here are involved in that team. I'm not sure whether you are, but, but the CU use the building to reach out to students late at night. Loads of amazing things happen, pantomimes, and then not to mention school pastors and street pastors and all those things that uh, others of us in the fellowship are doing. Not kind of uh, that we do them as a fellowship, but we're, we're, we're kind of part of it. There are a lot of opportunities, but there's one I haven't mentioned there. That's Sunday services, because people from all of those places, are from time to time, are part of worshipping here today, and some of you are. And welcome. It's great to see you. Why do we do all this? Well, because if we think of Kids Club, there's at least a dozen families who have no contact with the Christian gospel, who are getting to know the leaders of Kids Club, and uh, are being uh, blessed through it. Oh, I didn't put the youth club on. Sorry, I should have put the youth club. The youth club, sorry. Just looked at Steve, saw him, and I thought, oh, I forgot the youth club. Anyway, there's a youth club on Fridays. Or the street people, who, as you might call them, people who don't have permanent homes, many. 
those who drop in on a Thursday, they're not going to be in touch with anyone else. They're not going to be in touch with Christians. They're not going to know that there's a Father in heaven if they don't see it in us. Mary and I pray for our extended family through the week, and we often pray for one of our our extended family. Uh, I won't say what her name is, but she's a single mum in the Midlands. And, you know, we pray almost every week, Lord, if there was some Christian nearby on that outer ring, Midland City, God-forsaken estate where she lives with her, her, her child and newly expected one, if only there was a toddler group there where she could meet Christians. That's why we're doing it. Who else is going to reach people like these if we don't? And there are thousands of people who are not going to hear unless we meet them. Now we could go to them, and that's what Louise will be talking about next week. Or we can create a place where they can spend some time with us. Which is what we're doing through all of these projects. Do you want to be involved? Well, you don't have to be. It's not obligatory. But you could be if you want to. Especially if you have some connections with this community, if you're burdened for it. And by the way, being here on Sunday connects you with this community. Now, all of this isn't easy. How do we make it count? How are we going to make it count? Jesus says that people will come to know our Father in heaven. So we want our actions to point people to him, don't we? And that means that in our culture, there has to be a time when we do talk about Jesus. Name his name. If people know nothing about him, then they can't give him glory when they see our good works, can they? Now some people, some of you might be thinking... Well, why do all this good work? You should just be giving people the gospel. Think of the money you could save if instead of having breakfast club, you went out with loads of tracts and gave everybody, you know, tracts and little leaflets with a message on them. You know, you went out and gave everyone a, a message and they can read the message and then they could become a Christian if they want to. Some of you may be thinking, what are you teaching English for? You should be teaching those 30 non-Christian women, some of them Muslims. You should be teaching them from the Bible, not from English books. Some of us may be thinking, well, why don't we just give out lots of MP3s on an MP3 player and, you know, put them through the doors, or better still, let's make a DVD, a gospel presentation, you know, someone could do it, uh, and there it is, and you could put one through the door of every person in the area, and hey, that's all we need to do. Why do we go to all this trouble? Well, we do it for lots of reasons, but first of all, we do it because Jesus is our model. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. He said that twice. And he went around doing lots of things. Peter summed it up in Acts 10, he went around doing good. He also said a lot of things as well. He spoke a lot, but he did a lot. And we want to be able to speak the gospel, but we want to do the works that point to Jesus. Here's another thing. We need to create what you might call a home for the gospel, a context where the gospel makes sense. Do you know, some of it is a bit of a subtle. I'm going to no, I mustn't go off time too much. Um, I used to be involved in radio, Christian radio work a long time ago. 
And um, somebody did some research about the effectiveness of radio programs, Christian radio programs. And, and they did it across a, a whole load of areas, FIBA radio and others, discovered that uh, it was very rare for somebody to become a Christian just by listening to the radio. But when they listened to the radio and then had a chance to talk to another person, then they were able to really grasp it. See, the personal contact matters. There has to be a context. And one of these contexts, these homes for the gospel, is our loving actions. That's what's happening here in Matthew 5. People are seeing it and they're saying, why, you know, what are you doing this for? I had a great evening a few months ago at the student hot chocolate thing, the Inside Out. Now, the thing about Inside Out ministry, as those of you who have been there, is that the people who come, shall we say, are a little bit freer to talk than they might normally have been uh, because they've usually had a bit to drink, okay? And that means you don't want to push the gospel too hard because you don't want to take advantage of that. And uh, anyway, it's no good trying to witness to a drunk person. But, but most of the people who, who are there, they, you know, they're not drunk, but they're a little, shall we say, disinhibited. And so they really say what they think. And they, you know, they say, whoa, this is amazing. You know, these Christians, they're doing this for us. Why are they doing this? You know, how come? You know, and I was amazed. A number of people there were just quite honestly blown away by the love that they were receiving by Christians from the Christian Union speaking, uh, giving them a cup of tea, a piece of toast, and a bit of time. Loving actions present a home for the gospel. But a loving community is a key home for the gospel. John 13, Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. In John 17, I just want to read this. Um, John 17, if you just want to listen to it, verse 20. Jesus' prayer, he says, My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for the life of God to be shared in the community of uh, his disciples. A love that reflects his nature. A oneness in that love. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul talks about, he says, we shared the gospel, we shared our lives with you. The love that Jesus had for uh, others is to be reflected in the way we love as a community of his people. Who did Jesus love? He loved the broken, he loved the poor, he loved the marginalized, he loved the unworthy, he loved the empty. And you know, we have the opportunity to love like that as a community. And actually, Sunday services are part of that, aren't they? Would you go out of your way to love somebody, to talk to somebody who you may not normally have anything to do with? Maybe even today, or in the Sundays ahead as people join us from the different projects. Can we be like Jesus as we love the marginalized, the broken, the helpless, the hopeless, the, the failures and, and all of the others? Because hey, we're just like that, aren't we? we? We pretend we're not, but we are. And he loved us, so why can't we love other people like he loved us? 
For those of you who like these things, Leslie Newbegin said once, the church is the hermeneutic for the gospel. A living, alive community that loves one another and loves people like Jesus did is a powerful explanation of the gospel. How do we sustain it? It needs to be sustained by prayer. That's why we're doing the house of prayer every day. Uh, If you want to come along one o'clock, one of the key things about the house of prayer, I know we can't all do that, but a few of us can, and we do, and we want to sustain the the work uh, in the locality and beyond in prayer. And we also need to be sustained in teamwork. Lou may talk about this next week, I don't know. But it really works well, you know. If the people with a heart to welcome the marginalised or to live the life of Jesus, to be involved with the needy or to be opening up to love other people are not just a tiny minority. It really helps if we're involved in it together. If it's something that is about what we do together. I've rushed a bit. I've nearly finished. One of the most useful tools in being involved in this is a tea bag. Think about that. Tim Chester, in his really great book, Good News for the Poor, it's an oldish book, it's 2003, so the figures are a little out of date, but you'll get the point. He says it's within a 15 to 20 minute walk, within walking distance of the average UK urban church, there are these numbers of people. See if you agree. 1,200 people living alone, including 580 pensioners. 1,500 people who talk to their neighbours less than once a week. 50 people divorced within the last year. 375 single parents. 18 pregnant teenagers. 150 recent or contemplated abortions. 250 unemployed people, 1,700 people in low-income households, 1,100 people with mental health problems, 100 people bereaved within the last year, 2,700 people living in households without a car, 60 people in residential care homes, I think there's a lot more in this area, 1,280 carers looking after a friend or a relative who's sick, elderly or disabled, 2,800 who've been victims of a crime in the last year, 40 homeless people in temporary accommodation, 15 asylum seekers. And he goes on to say that actually uh, you can make quite a lot of difference by having a cup of tea with someone. That's why I'm saying a tea bag. And as we worship in a minute, we'll have a bit of time to worship, I trust, before the children come back. If you're going to say, well, I'm going to do that, as we worship, or towards the end if you want to, I put a few tea bags. There's some here, and there's some there in the gallery. There's some at the front just by the... Why don't you just get up, come and pick up a tea bag as a, a kind of sign that you want to have a cup of tea with somebody in your, maybe in this locality, since it's the focus today, maybe where you live this week just to spend some time with people, if it helps you. You think, well, it's a bit difficult. Got to walk across the room. Loving people involves walking across the room, as Bill Heibel says. What a great phrase that is. And if we can't walk across the room here, 
and maybe afterwards to walk across the room with your coffee in your hand to talk to someone that you haven't talked to before because you know they're a bit different to you. A way we can respond because it's what we're called to do as God's people as we live the Jesus way. Amen.